observing lists with Alistair Ling on episode 306 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky, and this podcast is for anyone else who enjoys watching the skies. So um, welcome to the show, Alistair. I'll, I'll welcome you and then do a brief introduction. So thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this a lot. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fun. You've been listening to the show a little bit, uh, I gather, and uh, so I was really happy when we connected over other matters, and uh, and you agreed to come on the show. So thank you so much. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So I'll give a brief introduction now. Many listeners may already be familiar with our guest, as he has co-authored the Sky This Month with Martin Radcliffe for Astronomy Magazine since the 1990s. And I must also confess that he provides a lot of the useful data to the RESC Observer's Calendar, which I help put together with other folks every year. As a kid growing up in Montreal in the 70s, he loved the planetarium. Noticing his interest, a well-intentioned family friend gifted him their unused Christmas trash scope. Then at 14, <laughs> he took a job to buy a 4.5-inch Tasco, which he used to discover Jupiter and to observe Saturn. Because books at the time showed the Ring Nebula and the Hercules Globular Cluster as taken through the 200-inch telescope of Polymer, he, he assumed these things were just too faint and would be invisible in a small telescope. However, at a public talk, he was introduced to the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, and that's where he discovered astronomy magazines and mentors willing to share their knowledge. With the gang at Montreal, he ground and polished a couple mirrors, a 10-inch F4 or 4.1 and a 12.5-inch F5.6. Coincidentally, Comet discoverer David Levy was there at the time, and he invited Alistair to join him in his group of astro friends. And it was at Montreal Center where Alistair's interest in writing astronomy articles took off. From there, he's written for the Web Society's Deep Sky Quarterly, Deep Sky Journal. He also wrote for Deep Sky Magazine before it morphed into Astronomy Magazine. He has written about many targets you all love to uh, look at and enjoy. Professionally, he was a meteorologist for Environment Canada and Post in Edmonton, though he did some work in Toronto before moving back. Currently, he's been paying it forward, volunteering to mentor and be a scope medic at star parties. In 2003, he won the RESC Simon Newcomb Award. He's won the Webb Society Award for his contributions to the Deep Sky Quarterly, quarterly and in... Uh, I, I forget the year exactly, but I think it was around two, early 2000s. Uh, Asteroid 15819 was more appropriately named Alistair Ling in his honor. So welcome again to the show, Alistair. It's great to have you. Thanks, Chris and Shane. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some observing lists today. So uh, where, where should we start, Alistair? Why, why should people... Um, look at observing lists or, or use observing lists in, in their own observing programs? Maybe we'll just start there with that general question. Yeah, and I could just about uh, re-quote uh, uh, Mike's comment uh, from uh, a few episodes ago. It's, there are a limited number of clear skies in the mid-northern latitudes, uh, not being anywhere near the desert latitudes of Arizona or, or, or uh, the, the Middle East. Uh, you know, here we've uh, we have precious few skies, and and really, what ends up happening uh, if you're not careful, you, you get out to a dark site and you go, oh, finally, and then it's just like, okay, uh, and so it, it's you end up losing time, and then you, you're you maybe randomly open a page of a, a, a catalog or a star chart and, and see what inspires. And so it's that, that's a lot of time lost uh, for those precious few nights uh, that we do get or hours. You, you spend an hour driving out, uh, an hour driving back, and 
then uh, you know, all of a sudden it's the, uh, oh, I just sort of wasted 45 minutes of, of a four-hour night uh, just sort of humming and awing. So the, 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 the thing for me that the lists really allow you to be, um, well, directed and 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 so that way you just sort of as the scope is cooling, I open my binder and there's and and I actually have three lists. I, I don't know about you guys, but you you probably do as well. Um, like like for example, I've got a list uh, for. Um, well, aurora-filled skies, just like, oh boy, uh, it, you know, this is almost as bad as a, a suburban sky. Yeah. I'm just going to go for um, star clusters. Uh, and then I've got a, a, a super dark uh, list for stuff that's really tough um, that I've tried before. And, oh, if this is one of those ones where there's just an extra couple of tenths of magnitude, I go for those. And then there's the, the, the in-between uh, list where it's stuff that, I know I'll get. I just haven't seen yet, and and um, and and so it's it's also a thing about once you've got those sort of first uh, hundred hundred and fifty objects under your belt, it, there's always this sort of like, okay, well, what's next? What have I missed? And oh, sure, I could go back and see M seventy eight again, but you know, maybe there's something else, and and you find out that there's you know this list that oh, there's this Iris Nebula. Um, that's similar but different to M78. So let's go for that. So so I've got those sort of three lists that, that allow me to sort of pick and choose. And sometimes it's it's the mood. It's just like, oh, I, I, turns out I'm more bagged than I thought I was. So uh, I, I don't have the energy to to go for the, the really tough stuff. So, you know, I think I'll go for some splashier things that I've somehow overlooked over the last little while. So I, I, I've got uh, one of those uh, sort of uh, lists all always ready to go. Yeah, that's great. I love your comment, Alistair, about it, um, you know, sort of helping to direct the session. Um, I've been observing a few times where I forgot my list or intentionally decided not to observe being directed by a list. And to your point, I end up looking at stuff I've I know well, you know, M78, you know, is your example. Um, so I, I certainly do have a love of lists to help me um, help me see new objects that I haven't seen before, right? And and kind of keep my observing sessions uh, a little more intentional about what I really want to observe. And and I just re-updated my my binder for the summer. Actually, last weekend it was not not a glorious job, but now I'm ready for, for some good observing this year. And, and yeah, I, I have multiple lists too. Um, I'm trying to find more lists for my backyard because to your, to your other point about having to drive, you know, to dark skies, that mm -hmm. sometimes is a limiting factor for me. And, uh, so, you know, double stars, uh, open clusters, things like that are, are really great backyard targets. So I'm, I'm certainly, uh, trying to craft more of those lists. Uh, absolutely. And and you, you brought up this, you said, you know, a binder, and it's exactly what I have. Uh, being a somewhat old school, um, uh, having grown up in the sort of pre-computer days, um, having uh, three ring binders with stuff. And inevitably, it's, oh, well, the, uh, the, the, the clouds uh, have uh, come in, the seasons have changed, and it's no longer <laughs> summer. So, I, I better, you know, put those away. So I take them out of my sort of current binder and then put them in my sort of annual binder in the right 
place seasonally and pick out the new stuff. Oh, we've got spring coming up and or you know, uh, end of winter and into spring. So make sure I, I load uh, those back into my current binder. That makes uh, quite a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and and you know the, you talked about um, observing from the city, and and th that was uh, where um, I was going to say I really cut my teeth uh, on that uh, in Montreal, uh, the the center at the time. It's uh, things have shuffled around. Uh, they had a old uh, World War II building on the side of Mount Royal overlooking downtown, and uh, the football stadium that McGill had. So when the 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 lights were on at night, it was really awful. But it. <laughs> Once the lights were down, you're looking right over downtown Montreal. But sometimes, hey, the seeing was, was really good. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, once I got um, a nebula filter, it was all of a sudden, oh, hey, these uh, relatively small planetary nebula are super easy. And so things like IC 2003 and uh, 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 there's, well, I, I can't. A lot of these things that are just two arc seconds across, uh, but they're 9.5 magnitude or something like that. And uh, even from downtown Montreal, were, were very easy pickings for uh, a nebular filter. So I, I spent uh, a lot of time uh, going after those. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. That's... Um... Uh, you know that that I started early on in my amateur, uh, you know, amateur astronomy life, uh, strictly backyard. And then when I discovered dark skies, I was strictly dark skies. And now, you know, I I, I really understand the value of of my time, and the rarity of a good night. So it's it's nice to be able to combine both. So. Alistair, do you have any lists that you maybe recommend for, you know, somebody maybe beginning or, um, uh, you know, I guess what are just some good lists to get started with? Yeah, uh, th that's, a, that's a great question. And uh, I, I've really uh, point to the RASE handbook uh, as uh, a sort of the uh, reference to, you know, first thing to check. Uh, and uh, as well, the they have uh, the Explore the Universe certificate. And so for a little while last year, I was running uh, a, a cyclical uh, introduction to stargazing. And, and we'd talk about um, sort of one deep sky object here, and, and most of them uh, were binoculars. So th that allows uh, the, the, um, a, a certain focus there. Uh, but I always, always, always uh, carry with me uh, the, um, Terrence Dickinson's uh, Rest His Soul um, uh, Night Watch. And at the back of that book, there's a list of sort of top 50. And I remember going through that uh, just a couple of years ago. And it's like, yep, yep, yep. Oh, great object. Yeah. And, and very much focused um, to the beginner. What's the best thing for them to see? Because uh, there are, of course, you know, plenty of messy objects where it's just like, oof, you know, for a beginner, it's like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't do that. Um, so uh, the, the, the Night Watch book, uh, having that uh, uh, straightforward list uh, is uh, always the sort of the prime thing I tell people to start with. And again, the, the Explore the Universe, where so many of them are uh, binocular uh, objects. And so, if it, you know, and of course, it will have things like the globular cluster M13. And, and it, it, I, I mean, I can still almost remember that first time where I was out at a dark sky and it's just like, <gasps> You can see that with the unaided eye. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, just I didn't realize that was actually possible. Um, uh, so uh, the, the, uh, the those two lists, um, I, I think, are are definitely uh, the way to go. And, and uh, the the nice thing about um, uh, the list in Nightwatch as well is it does have a few NGCs in it because, well, as we know, the Messier list uh, isn't always uh, you know, the best. It's the there's the usual. How did he miss the double cluster? Because even from the city, that's a pretty good object. <laughs> uh, and uh, and you know how did. Because I mean, Messier actually, um, well, one of the if if we wander into the the, the Messier list uh, topic, it, it's frequently um, mischaracterized as not a comet list, and mm. um, the, the the actual title of the catalog as published, got it right here. It's uh, Nebula and Star Clusters. And so, you know, he knew very well what the list was. Maybe uh, for sure the inspiration was, oh, these things look like comets and, and whatnot. He, and, and he refers to like Bodhi's Nebula, uh, M81, uh, the great spiral up in Ursa Major. Uh, so s- some of these objects are well known and, and Messier re- refers to that. So it's like he was, he was cataloging them, uh, but he also uh, definitely had um, uh, a, the, the the idea of oh this is a star cluster and and several of the objects in the Messier list uh, uh, as from his own observations it's like um, you know, uh, a uh, a fine star and I'm kind of paraphrasing here but you know a fine star cluster um, but uh, in an ordinary telescope of one foot focal length so basically a spy class uh, <laughs> may, may appear nebulous. Uh, so he was certainly um, uh, keeping an eye out on that, but the, the you know you think oh M forty five yeah there's the you know there's that hazy gauzy um, uh, nebulosity that you know maybe he's it, it looked uh, funny in the finder scope and and it was fuzzy and you know here's his description of uh, the Pleiades M forty five cluster of stars known under the name of the Pleiades the position reported is that of the star Alcyone. End. <laughs> That's all you said about that. <laughs> you know, and uh, M44 cluster of stars known under the name of the Nebula of Cancer, uh, but you know, cluster of stars. Um, but one of the funny ones, uh, which shows you the, the quality of the or lack of his instruments at a time. Uh, is the the great globular cluster in Hercules M13? Uh, it's nebula without star. Uh, it is round and bright. The center clearer than the edges. Can be seen in a telescope of one foot. Um, and then, uh, da, 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 yeah, seen by Halley in 1714 and reported on the English celestial atlas. Uh, so, so th- I mean, he definitely had. Uh, issues with some of the, especially the globular clusters, but many of the, like, again, M35, M36, 37, those wonderful uh, winter star clusters. It's like he said, stars, (laughs) no no mention of nebulosity. So he knew that these were not comets. But at that point, I'm assuming here, he probably had colleagues saying, look, why don't you do a list of nebula and star, you know, anything that is Mm non-stellar. And the rest is history, uh, just about. But um, 
Yeah, it, it's. It, I, I always bristle a little bit when someone says, "Oh, it's a list of things that are not a common." It's like, "Oh no, that's." It may have started that way, but that's not how it ended. Yeah, that's a that's a good correction. Um, uh, you know, I've heard that statement and I've used that statement actually myself many times. So I appreciate the correction about uh, you know the history of that list that it's more than just a not comment list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and so th those were were really the uh, um, the list. I mean, nowadays uh, it, it's uh, all too easy to to find lists on the internet. Some of them which are quite good. I, I can't speak for a lot of them because uh, basically, uh, well, I don't bother with a lot of other people's lists because well, I've probably seen um, most of the objects on those lists, and, and then I've got my own uh, list that I'm working with. Uh, but uh, a, a pretty cool one uh, that I came across was uh, uh, Sky Safari has these user lists that you can go to their website and download uh, lists. So uh, yeah, it's easy to pick up the, um, the finest NGCs on there from Alan Dyer in the handbook. Um, and then uh, there's a bunch of the, the, the Herschel uh, object lists uh, and one that uh, uh, Luca Vanzella was showing me. He had his uh, um, the Sky Safari on his tablet and uh, was going over uh, Herschel's uh, Night of Discovery. Uh, basically, it, it it goes right through um, the uh, the coma Berenices Virgo area. Um, and now Herschel's telescopes were were. Uh, not crude, but they, they were um, uh, mechanically um, <laughs> uh, uh, not not all that smooth to work with. So he, <laughs> he did these things called sweeps, where he would basically um, keep at a, 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 a stationary azimuth and then shift the telescope up and down in um, altitude and then let the sky drift past. And so this night of discovery, um, if you look at it on a star chart, is this elongated band of, of galaxies. And it's basically what happened to drift through the eyepiece that night. <laughs> and from the latitude of uh, uh, England there, um, uh, which is not that far off our, our Canadian uh, latitudes. And, and so it's just that you can actually replicate that. So I thought, oh, that's a really cool project. And every now and then there, you've got these, oh, we've got a three-minute gap before the next uh, galaxy drifts into the eyepiece. And uh, so that, that that was a lot of fun. But uh, one, one comment to make about the uh, the tablet that, that I um, have since encountered is that uh, once it gets colder than minus 10, the uh, the tablets don't like working very well. Nope. So uh, uh, he actually had a, a sleeve uh, that that he could sort of put it into uh, with a little uh, hot pod to keep it uh, the, the computer warm and uh, and then yeah a window to uh, look at the the tablet with. So you've got to be a little bit careful with the yeah some of those uh, uh, the um, digital forms of of the lists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, Alistair, I'm kind of curious too, how you maybe organize your lists. You had mentioned uh, just a few moments ago, um, some seasonality aspects to your lists. Is is that kind of your your approach to organizing them? Or do you have other, other ways to work through them and organize the lists? It, it's uh, largely um, seasonal 
but then there's sort of uh, sublists within each one. Uh, as I had um, mentioned at the, the, the start of uh, the podcast, where uh, there would be some for bright skies, some for, for dark skies. Uh, within that um, that season, it's there's there's essentially one or two pages a piece. So it would be um, star clusters, and for example, for for one of them. And then even then, I've got two sets of lists for for star clusters. I've got uh, ones that I just simply haven't seen before. Uh, one for uh, the the really tough. Um, ones uh, we can talk about that a bit later maybe the king uh, open cluster list and and then I'd have these ones called the class seven uh, star clusters um, back in the mid 70s I don't know it could have even been 1980 uh, seems to ring jump out at me um, it was the revised NGC by Solentic and Tift um, and uh, what they essentially they did is they they digitized the uh, made machine readable the, uh, the the entire NGC. So that, that was a, a sort of wonderful from that perspective. But then what they ended up doing was they would, um, of course, measure the positions on the Palomar Sky Survey uh, photographic prints. And a lot of the star clusters, uh, because of either embedded nebulosity or because the um, the, the Schmidt images were so deep that uh, a, a star cluster like M39 in, in Cygnus there, it's got whatever, 15 really bright stars, and then it, it sort of disappears into the Milky Way. So they classified these objects as uh, class seven or non-existent. And it's like, cough, cough. Um, <laughs> it, it's very much there. And so, yeah, there's uh, one of the other uh, favorites in that list is... Uh, NGC 6996, which is in the middle of the North American nebula. And it, it's just like, uh, you, you look at it, uh, at most pictures of the, of the nebula, well, it's they're there to enhance the nebula. And even the Palomar Sky Survey, it's just like, poof, the nebula is, is really prominent. Uh, but you, you throw a telescope across it, and it's just like, oh, there's this beautiful star cluster in there. Uh, not Not... Uh, knock your socks off star cluster but as you move the telescope over it's just like oh sure thing there it is uh star cluster so um i i then made it a a list of mine to um go through the, the entire thing looking for these um objects that they couldn't find on the palomar sky survey and uh and then to you know go back and find them uh, and uh, very fortunately we um uh, well, we, uh, the, the group of deep sky observers that we uh, uh, were writing with, pen pals, all of us at the time, uh, one of the, uh, um, we have Brian Skiff from the Lowell Observatory, that name might ring a bell. Um, and then uh, one of the professional astronomers at the time, Harold Corwin, uh, he was uh, worked with the NASA Extra Galactic Database, NED, um, and, and he had a fondness for uh the, you know the old observations, and so uh, he was uh, a professional who uh, helped us, so to speak, clean up the uh, the NGC database and putting in uh, proper corrections. And so, yeah, the, these class open class seven uh, so called non existent open clusters is just it's 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 a really fun project uh, to go um, looking to see. Oh, I wonder what 
Herschel saw when, because usually those clusters were uh, discovered by William Herschel. And so it's, uh, uh, and, and that's, uh, you know, some, something to, to uh, segue uh, perhaps into uh, the, uh, you know, Herschel's telescope is, is a really good one was the, uh, it was either 18 or 20 inch speculum mirror. So think, okay, it's not as shiny as, as uh, a, a fresh aluminized high efficiency coating. That, so it's pretty close to a 12 and a half inch scope and uh, his, a uh, key eyepiece uh, gave him a 15 arc minute field of view. And so every now and then I'd be scanning and say, nope, don't see anything. Throw in an eyepiece uh, um, to uh, seven millimeter Nagler is perfect for that. Uh, gives me a 15 arc minute field of view and, and albeit a wider apparent field than what he had. He would have been looking through one of those tunnel eyepieces. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, shift the scope around and, and it's like, oh, yeah, sure enough. Uh, you know, as you move past it, the number of stars drops off. As you move back, the number of stars come up and you move past it the other way. Oh, yeah, they drop off again. Okay, yeah, that's, that's what he was seeing. So, so that, that was, uh, um, I, I, I really liked uh, reliving the, the, what Herschel saw. And this is one of those um, contacts across the centuries, literally, where it's, I'm seeing ex well exactly what he's seeing, and and there's that. You know, he may as well have been a pen pal writing uh, back and forth. Hey, there's this star cluster over here, or this galaxy over there, and so you you really got the sense of um, of being uh, him observing beside you, and so I, I just love that whole thing of of uh, William Herschel. It just fits so neatly. Yeah. You know, one, one of the things I really enjoy having these, con or one of the reasons why I really enjoy having these conversations about observing lists is when you start talking to other astronomers, I'm always fascinated by the unique uh, projects or, or sort of personal lists that people create to, uh, to work through, you know, trying to observe the class seven clusters or, uh, you know, to mimic some of the Herschel experience, I think is fascinating. And, uh, I, I just love hearing about this stuff because it often inspires me to think about, um, you know, just my own passion, right. And, and what would I like to, you know, create for my own personal observing, uh, you know, the finest NGC and all of these other well-known lists are great, but, um, you know, folks should, uh, not be afraid, I think, to dive into some of this unique stuff like what you're talking about here, Alistair. Yeah, and, and that's, um, well, plugging my own list uh, a while ago. I can't quite remember the inspiration, but it would have been uh, um, Alan Dyer pr principally um, about this deep sky challenge list. And so, excuse me, when we came up and or we're discussing the the, the idea. Um, it, it was the well. We don't want to just put fifteenth magnitude galaxies because you know there's a limited number of sixteen inch scopes out there. Uh, so we want it to be a, a sort of a challenge, a, a, you know, for someone. Oh, some of those objects in that list are visible in a four inch scope under a dark sky, and it's not necessarily uh, you know, like sometimes it's all you need is the dark sky. <laughs> it's, it's just large but faint, uh, filter required type of thing. Uh, there's um, there's a planetary nebula in there where it's just like, uh, it, 
It's seeing the nebula is not the challenge. It's trying to see the disk of the nebula because it's only 1.5 arc seconds across. So it's, do you have a good enough night? And, and so there's also, it was an opportunity to th start throwing in um, other lists, um, whether it's a Palomar globular cluster uh, or a King uh, open cluster. I think there's, a, there's a, a little regret about sort of three years later, should we update the list? And it's like, yeah, I'm not quite happy with, like I, uh, I threw in NGC 6897, this loose globular uh, down in Libra. Um, and it was because the, the, the numbers that, that you see in terms of total magnitude and size, you think, oh, this would be easy. And well, if you've got hazy skies, no, it's, it's not easy. And certainly from the city, it's like, nope. <laughs> it, it was sort of a, a challenge there. But you know, I, I realized afterwards that, oh, I, I really should have substituted in something like the Terzan globular, because then that, that the idea was uh, to, to sort of trigger, inspire people to go, oh, th there's yet another list. It's not a Herschel object. It's not an NGC. It's a something else. Oh, there, there's this whole plethora of new objects to go after. So that, that was generally the inspiration of, of the challenge list was to uh, open up people's minds as to the, yeah, there, there's, um, there, there's more and it's not just that it's faint. It, it can be challenging just for a, a whole variety of reasons. So just to, just to chime in, the, the list Alistair is referring to is the RASC's Deep Sky Challenge Objects List. And people can find it in the RASC Observer's Handbook, or uh, it's actually available at uh, seds.org. And I think it's a, a recently updated one. I have, I can't remember, I have looked at that Terzan globular cluster, but now I'm like, where, where was that exactly? <laughs> what was my observation? I just remember it was like a strange, a strange uh, object to look at. It probably in Sagittarius. I, I actually can't remember myself. Uh, some of these objects, it's like, oh, it's been uh, nigh on 30 years since I saw that. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, some of them uh, really do uh, stick out. And I, I love the King Open clusters. Um, yeah. The, the, uh, they, they were uh, uh, discovered by um, Ivan King. That's right. Wow. Uh, it's amazing what the brain can pull out at sometimes, uh, looking at the Palomar Sky Survey uh, pictures. And he found uh, the, these sort of dense, uh, um, faint uh, star clusters. So sort of imagine, um, say, uh, Messier 37 uh, in, in Riga, where it's like, it's not quite a globular cluster, but it's, it's just packed with stuff. Now, imagine that uh, 10 times farther out in space, and it'd be, well, it would be smaller, and fainter, uh, but it would be rich. And so a lot of these king clusters, uh, um, you need a, a dark sky, a 12-inch scope. Yeah, some of them are probably visible in an eight, uh, but uh, you, you sort of crank up the power and it's just like, oh yeah, it looks almost cometary uh, to cycle back to Messier. And then, uh, you know, it, you just sort of wait and then the, the little sparkles right at the edge of uh, threshold vision pop in. And the, it, there's only about 30 of them, something like that. And so mm -hmm. it makes a nice tidy, oh, this is something I can accomplish because the, the, the flip side of lists is, well, there's the entire 7,000 object NGC list, mm -hmm. but, but uh, probably anything after number um, 
to <laughs> after your 2000th object it's just like oh there's a lot of these stinker faint galaxies <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're, they're they're really not uh much to look at but the, the one thing about clusters that, that i particularly like is that just everyone is different and mm. Uh, it, it's you know some of them are round, some of them are squashed, some of them uh, have um, uh, you know all the same brightness of stars, uh, a wide variety of brightness of stars, and and that just that whole you know sometimes oh look that looks like a sailboat, oh that looks like a fish, and th th there's there's only one star cluster that I've really ever observed. I've forgotten which one it was, but it, it was um, I, I described it as nondescript. It's just, <laughs> uh, it's like not round, not, you know, it's just like, <laughs> just so, just, <laughs> so when, when we were chatting, uh, Alistair, you, you had, uh, pointed me in the direction of an article and in that article, it, it had a few other lists mentioned. Um, I thought maybe we could touch on these really quick. Um, one of them was a list that I wasn't familiar with, although I've, I've heard of the book. I don't own it. It was the star hopping for backyard astronomers by, Alan McRobert and you said that uh, there was a pretty good collection of uh, articles and uh, and objects in that book. Maybe you could talk to that for a moment. Mm -hmm. um, I don't actually have the book myself because uh, back in the uh, when when he was doing them, uh, they they appeared sort of every other month in Sky and Telescope as oh, okay. as a three page maybe four page uh, article. And uh, the, uh, what I really liked about it is that. Uh, they, it would start at a bright star, maybe Algol, and um, would then, uh, I'm kind of making this up on the spot here, but you, you'd then say, okay, now move the telescope, you know, uh, one field of view to the northeast, and there's double star sigma something or other, and, mm -hmm. it, da, 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 and then now move the scope another field uh, to the to the southwest, and uh, you, you'll encounter uh, you know uh, this uh, NGC star cluster, and and so you get just uh, and it was literally star hopping. You'd just be shifting the scope from one object to the other, one field to another, and and he had a, a whole series of these, and um, so there were objects that were uh, fine for the city, uh, and and some parts of it is oh well, you know this particular one you'll need to be out under uh, dark skies, and so uh, the, it was a combination of. Um, how you go about it was it was just this you know again you can imagine he's sitting right beside you and, and just says okay now not your scope uh, a field of you off to the edge and oh yeah yeah so it, it had a very um casual or conversational feel to it yet was uh, you, you'd you'd come across these things as we like to say it's um th there's a lot of uh you know on on that path of discovery stop to smell the roses and mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes in this the deep sky world it's well there, there's lichen in between the roses so yeah. <laughs> you know stop and have a look at those things too and and so it, it uh i i found um i i very much enjoyed uh reading those and and um i've, I've followed a handful of them and just like it's just a, a wonderful way of looking at the sky. So I guess he must have eventually um, just edited those together yes. and then and then created the book Star-Hopping for Backyard Astronomers by Alan McRobert. And that came out from Sky Publishing. And I don't know if they still publish it or not, but I, I looked it up and there was lots of used copies around and available. Oh, good, good. 
Yeah. One of the other lists that you touched on was the finest NGC objects by uh, Alan Dyer. And again, that one's published in the RESC uh, Observer's Handbook. Maybe you can just uh, touch on that one for a moment as well. Yeah. So, um, uh, Alan, of course, we a lot of us know mostly from his photography these days. I mean, he always was into photography, even the film days, but uh, he's also a superlative observer. And he did uh, a lot of times. I remember seeing him at, uh, say, the Cypress Hill Star Party where, uh, you know, I'd see him with with a, a, a 10 or 12 inch scope. And uh, I said, Oh, I thought you'd be uh, imaging. It's like, Oh yeah, the camera's over there shooting away, but yeah. uh, <laughs> hey, uh, hands free. So I I'm looking. And, uh, and so, yeah, we realized, uh, uh, Hey, here's someone who also has this uh, font of experience of deep sky objects. And so, uh, yeah, he created uh, the uh, finest and what he thought the finest NGCs in it. And it's like, I would agree with every single one of them. Uh, there's uh, a nice, the part of the nice thing with the table, uh, of course, it is ordered in right ascension as, uh, so it's quasi-seasonal. Uh, you, you can uh, look at it that way. Um, and then um, he, he, in the remarks column, he's got things like exclamation marks for uh, the really, really uh, nice things. So yeah, the like the double cluster, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's like a triple exclamation marks. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy, I, I better go and see that. So to me, that that uh, list of finest NGCs is going to be uh, the sort of the second list that that you look up and and may even as you're um, uh, doing the uh, Messier list, uh, as I found sort of for myself when I was going through the Messier list, is, uh, you, you hit you know, the Coma Virgo cluster, and it's like. Well, there's these other galaxies here. They're not on the list. And and, and it's like, oh, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was uh, I probably had uh you know you know 50 or 60 NGCs by the time I finished my Messier list, if not even more. And so now, um, because it didn't exist back then, now that you know, here here's this uh, wonderful list that's that, that's uh, highlighting uh, the best of the lot to go for because every now and then you've got these uh, uh, funny uh, objects um, uh, 7008 in Cygnus of course the things like the Crescent Nebula mm -hmm. uh, so th there's a lot of uh, well classic fantastic objects uh, mm -hmm. to look for and the the I think the um, having that those remarks with the uh, asterisks or exclamation marks uh, really uh, would be the thing to, for a, a beginner to key in on oh I better go for that one. And because, uh, of course, many of those objects are visible from uh, the suburban skies. So that, you know, that, that's another thing uh, that, that's uh, really useful. And I think as well, that one, uh, I'm just looking it up, that one is available again on the uh, messy.seds.org site. If people Google SEDS, uh, finest NGC object list, uh, they, can, they can find that one as well. Um, a couple of the other ones that you pointed out I've sort of vaguely heard of this one before is the uh, from the Will Tiran's Bright Star Atlas. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess in there and I've given away copies of that before. And yeah. it's a it's a nice little book and it's a 600 strong list of deep sky objects, including a lot of interesting variables compiled by Brian Skiff. Maybe you could talk about that for a moment. 
Yeah, uh, I, I can't quite remember how I uh, came into this. It was probably my association with Brian Skiff, who is, um, uh, he was also a sort of person where um, uh, he probably sent me the list saying, hey, is, is you know, did anything strike you good, bad, uh, or, or not about it? But um, I also started, my first uh, personal star atlas was, um, oh, shoot, it, it's just slipped my... Uh, my mind, don't know. Um, uh, uh, Norton, there we go. Norton's, Norton's yeah. And so this was essentially a um, well, a, a two thousand coordinates version of Norton Star Atlas. Uh, it, it's a little thinner uh, in some respects, but uh, like the middle parts of the atlas go from plus fifty declination to minus fifty declination. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's. Uh, smaller than the, the the big sky atlas 2000 so much more portable yeah uh, just a bit bigger than uh, eight and a half by 11 sheet uh, but it's also it's got that uh, wonderful scale and then at that scale it's got uh, of course all the messy objects are plotted in on there there's a couple of insets that are show it a little bit more magnified and then off uh, so that's on one uh, chart and then the facing page has the list of deep sky objects uh, all nicely uh, listed broken up by galaxies open clusters globs planetaries diffuse and then double stars variable stars eclipsing variable stars pulsating variable stars all with the appropriate um numbers of uh, size um, and it even has notes uh, a little bit uh, uh, to read on um, and and so the and these are it's not just oh it's a variable star um, but it actually has a uh, something that would be visible uh, and and so that that's really good on that so I have to say this and that is that I I was looking at the uh, April edition of Sky and Telescope magazine last night and I noticed that uh, they've like reissued it, or I'm not sure what you call it exactly, but I think they're selling it. Well, I know they're selling. It. I just looked it up at uh, shop at sky.com now for $11 American. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a very nice portable uh, star atlas. Yeah, that could be uh, that could be a good first star atlas for somebody maybe that's uh, graduating beyond the backyard astronomer's guide uh, slash night watch editions. Um, another one we have to touch on before we move on to the controversial topic, which is the uh, Herschel 400. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned this this as well, and uh, maybe just touch on the Herschel 400 before we move on. Yeah, the, the, the list was uh, created uh, quite a while ago uh, by the uh, Astronomical League as as a thing to go beyond the, the Messier list. And I actually have to um, uh, uh, accept and, and apologize for a mistake. I had uh, assumed that it was going to be the best of the Herschel's objects out there. Uh, but it turns out that um, it's a curated list and has a variety of mm-hmm. uh, things in it. So it's, um, I, I did uh, mistakenly think that it was a, a okay. 400 and it's, it isn't. Uh, so I, I was corrected and it's like, oh, 
well, everybody makes mistakes. Um, but uh, just like, yes, uh, I, I didn't uh, look into it hard uh, with, with a lot of depth. But if you are, um, uh, and there's a lot of us, a uh, bit obsessive types, uh, and you like lists, then uh, uh, go at it. Uh, it uh, and the 400 is also a very uh, reasonable number. It's not 2,000 and, uh, oh, I've done 100 here and 100 there. I can easily do 400. So, um, so it sounds like it's a bit more of a uh, introduction to the different kinds of things that uh, William Herschel saw. All right, thanks, thanks for that. That was a that was good chat on lists that are recommended and uh, some resources for people to find either for free or from for pretty inexpensive prices. I think the one that there's two lists I'm going to point out that that you mentioned is that well I'm going to mention three things. First of all, March is often seen as as Messier marathon season brings attention to the Messier list and uh and you recommended a couple other resources for people to maybe try to tackle before that which is the Explore the Universe by the RASC and that's that's a free list people can go to RASC uh, .ca and and you can find out the explore the universe uh, program there and then the other one was the 50 objects in the back of the um night watch uh, <laughs> book by Terence Dickinson so i think those are those are really great uh, solid recommendations closely followed by the bright star atlas which again is just an $11 american uh book because it's been reissued so don't try to buy a used one cuz i see them used for like $50 american so we may as well just buy a new one for 11 bucks from sky and telescope direct mm-hmm. so with that is there and this is this is a baited question yes. is there a list perhaps that you would not recommend <laughs> Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, it, it got me into, well, a little bit of trouble. Uh, <laughs> I was actually 32 at the time. I sort of calculated the dates and just thought, okay, so I wasn't quite irresponsible youth. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's the, the Caldwell catalog. And, and I think a lot of people will like it because, oh, it's 110, and of course, it's easily digitized. It shows up in Sky Safari and in um, the, the various hand controllers that are out there. Uh, but when it came out, I was just completely uh, rankled by it. Um, the the uh, not quite apoplectic rage, but certainly uh, <laughs> the sort of taking big umbrage with the... Uh, <laughs> My Monty Python background. What are they talking about? <laughs> uh, and and, um, and and so uh, it was. And partly, I think. Uh, well, my my youth at the time, but seeing um, uh, Patrick Moore, the the picture on 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 the article has him with this, you know, knowledgeable senior Victorian astronomer with the monocle. Yes, monocle. <laughs> Um, you know, go, oh, yes, type of, uh, and, and so you know, I'm sure there's a little bit of, oh God, uh, you know, the, um, you know, maybe there's a bit of jealousy in there that he has all this recognition and I don't, but, um, uh, uh, the first thing that rankled me was that, um, the, the, with is, is the messy. I'll just read the little bit here where it goes, uh, yet there are many other objects of equal or greater interest than those with the M designation that Messier did not include, uh, perhaps because there was little chance of confusing them with his beloved comets. Uh, and so it's like, oh, well, there we go again. And then his final uh, sentence, still in the first paragraph, many of these non-Messier sites are shamefully neglected. And it's just like, what? 
you know, and and as I went down the list, there's a whole at the original published list had a whole um, swath of errors in terms of object sizes. It was a whole mix of somewhere in degrees, somewhere in arc minutes, somewhere in arc seconds. It was sort of very sloppy that way. But it was this idea, a, a double idea of um, that these objects many of which have names like the Veil Nebula, the Crescent Nebula, the Helix Nebula, and so on and on and on, and just like shamefully neglected. It's, they, they, they have common names. You know, anybody who's been, <laughs> you know, imaging or whatever knows these things. So, it, 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 and, and then it's this whole idea of, oh, I'm going to call them, um, uh, yeah, it's the, uh, it's this whole thing, my catalog, um, and uh, th this, oh, um, you know, Moore is the same. I'll just read it here. Um, uh, I, I was tem temporarily nonplussed with Moore because, like Messier, it begins with M. I'll, I'll put on the fake accent. You know, fortunately, my surname <laughs> is actually hyphenated, Caldwell Moore, which I do not generally use on official documents. I can I can hear the emails now, Shane. You <laughs> see, <laughs> for my and he did for my catalog, and it was at the time I had just well uh, a few years earlier I had been to the southern hemisphere and seen you know, Omega Centauri 47 Tucane Ada Carina and it's just like yes Caldwell 35 or or, or no in this case it'd be I don't know 82 or something like that you know it's shamefully neglected and you know here again is my umbrage it's visible to the unaided eye from the suburbs <laughs> That's just like that's not shamefully neglected here, buddy. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> and and then it was th this um, well, uh, what would today be called colonialism, uh, but this you know overbearing, um, it, and it's apparent. It's the way I read into it, and of course, it's like yeah, I well. With time, I have seen that. Well, maybe he wasn't intending it to be that way, but it was the this idea of. Uh, appropriating very well-known objects and throwing a number. So someone said, hey, have you ever seen, you know, Caldwell 10 or whatever? It's just like, uh, I, I don't know, what, it rankled. It's like, oh, oh yeah, you know, what, what is it? It's like, oh, it, you know, it's um, you know, the cave nebula or whatever. And I'm having trouble finding it. It's like, well, of course you are, because it's a nice object in a, a deep image, but visually... No, it's a very tough object. And so there's no way Messier would have seen the cave nebula or the flaming star nebula. There's a whole handful in there that, I mean, even with a telescope twice the size and quality, it's just like, I don't think he would have been seeing those <laughs> at all. So, yeah. it, but, but it was this appropriation of, uh, I like to use the uh, analogy of, uh, you know, imagine uh, the, the Peterson Field Guide to the Birds and coming up to a birder and saying, uh, oh, yeah, I, I saw a, a Peterson 75 uh, the other day. Because really, <laughs> what, what's, what was it? A, a bald eagle. You know, and you go, oh, my God, it, it, you know, you don't you don't use, a, you, you know, some, uh, you know, some, you know, some new name for it. like Peterson, you know, thankfully didn't, you know, call a robin, uh, you know, a Peterson five. It's just it, it's a robin. It it has a name. Sure, it has, uh, you know, other catalog designations, but it's just like you don't go appropriating 
you know, things for yourself. And that, that's how I really read it. So, and that's why it sort of still rankles me because uh, it's, it's something that is well known for, for <laughs> decades and the, the newbies go, Oh, well, it's on this list. Like, <laughs> sigh. <laughs> I, I like in the article um, that, that you directed me back towards, which I had read, and then you had asked me to distribute the, um, the Caldwell uh, article, mm. which, I, which I had also read, and I have it on disc. And when I grabbed my DVD player that I don't usually use too much uh, that's on my desk here, it was already in there. That was the last thing I'd actually looked at when I, when I was looking at uh, magazines on disc. But in in your article, which I think is available on the Ray Cash website, if people just Google Alistair Ling um, loves the Caldwell list or or something like that, you'll you'll find it on the Ray Cash um, website. But you also I like how you tie in a quote from Douglas Adams, who Uh, was a who wasn't who was another British author. And how did you tie in this bit about uh, what Douglas Adams might have to say? Yeah, um, the, the uh, he, he did uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, so it's wonderful British humor, uh, and uh, it, it's a, a sort of a, a, a quote from uh, the uh, Galactic President Zaphod Beeblebrox, um, who uh, who's always sort of you know, a cool type of nineteen uh, sixties cool type of guy, uh, and and he describes somebody else as man he's so unhip it's a wonder his buns don't fall off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we I have- love it. We have many, many listeners in the UK. I'm really curious to see how this is going to go over. <laughs> and, and um, you know, maybe to to uh, put uh, a, a bookend on um, the other uh, list that I'm unimpressed with, but um, is uh, the the Sky Tour on uh, the well? In my case, it was the Celestron hand control paddles that I've uh, had access to when I've been helping people set up their scope. And so here we were, you know, six inch scope under a dark sky. Oh, by the way, there's a Sky Tour function, and I I, I press a couple of buttons, and just like. Yeah, it's suggesting the California Nebula, and then, (laughs) and and it's just like this is amazing. Keep on going, and the one of the other ones was you know the Coma Galaxy Cluster. It's like this is the six inch (laughs) scope here. Uh, Yeah, that was on a six inch, wasn't it, or something? Yeah, and and of course, uh, well, you can see how oh. There, there's one list that serves everybody, so they put everything on it. I'm just like, yeah, but they actually know when you plug the controller in, they know what scope it's attached to. They yeah. even the latitude and longitude with a bit of thing they could figure out whether it was in the city or not. But even then, you could have a menu sky tour. Are you, you know, in the city or out in the country? Uh, small scope, big scope, and uh, and and so um, the one I was helping uh, uh, when I was with Berta just on Friday night, I said. Oh, I've got to, you know, got to go through your hand paddle here. Uh, and so uh, here it is for a four inch acromat. Um, so that, again, the hand paddle knows it's a four inch scope. Um, and it's like, okay, M110, M31, 32. Okay. Eight a cast. Okay. M103. No, no. pinwheel M33. Okay. That's going to be tough. Uh, M74, the beautiful Ooh. spiral, but not from the city, yeah. uh, you know, and M77, just like, wait a minute, you know, I sort of turned to look at the sky. It's just like, they're, they're 10 degrees off the horizon. 
<laughs> and, like, oh. um, and then, uh, you know, so keep going. Uh, 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 kite cluster, gamma arietis. Oh, gamma airy. Great thing. Triangle cluster. It's like, ah, uh, don't know that one. Let's, you know, so this morning I go to Google and just like, uh, nope, it's, uh, I, I, it, there's no hit on it. It's like, uh, keep on going down the list. Double cluster. All right. NGC 891, that beautiful edge on just off again of Andromeda. It's like, yeah, with a four inch scope. Mm. Uh, and then Polaris. Oh, okay. And then Gamma SETI, again, eight degrees above the horizon. So, Chris or Shane, do you know anything interesting about Gamma SETI that would make it onto the list? <laughs> Peg <Nope>. you. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, uh, I had to look it up. And yeah, it is a double star, but then even Wikipedia says um, it's uh, uh, it can be resolved uh, with a 10 centimeter aperture under ideal conditions, although at times it can be a challenge, even with much larger scope. It's like, okay, why is it on the list? And then, oh, yeah, pass through uh, Kemble's Cascade. M42, good. Pleiades, good. Beehive cluster, good. Heinz variable nebula. Ooh. Uh, oh boy, uh, you know, another couple of clicks. Horsehead Nebula, <laughs> oof, you know, I'm just like, okay. Uh, again, you know, it's like it, if you're imaging something, uh, even then it's not easy. And, and then um, there's, uh, you know, uh, something else, you know, the crown cluster. And it's like, it's somewhere in the right ascension of Leo. And it's like, never heard of it. Go mm. on to Wikipedia or, or Google. It's like, nope, doesn't even show up there uh, after two pages of searches. So it's like, uh, why do they do this? Uh, but uh, I don't know, somebody made up a list and saw good images of colorful things and threw it onto a list. But it's like, we got to get that one in there, Alistair. We got to get that one in there. <laughs> <laughs> but, good stuff and, we and finally sorry to book in no no go for it again is uh speaking of lists uh, a key list i am missing is one from you chris uh, i'm planning on going to the grasslands um park uh this may and um i'm not used to looking at you know really wide field low power uh, difficult to challenging to see from an average site so i need a list from you to what what should i look at Oh, I that you can look at my list from the handbook, which is the wide field wonders list. I think that would be a good place to start. Okay. There you go. Well, with that, Alistair, I think uh, we, we have more notes than we can possibly get to in an hour. Either you can look at that two ways, either fortunately, um, you know, uh, depending on how people have enjoyed the show, or unfortunately, if you were hoping to get more, maybe we can do another one sometime. Would you come back and maybe talk about some of your own observations? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. It, uh, it, it just sort of doing the research for the the show here. It just opened up my logbook. Wow, oh, oh, I forgot about that. So, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, because sort of part of the instigation here was a year ago, you and I were chatting about um, Lucian Kemble, and you had uh, very kindly sent me some of your notes. And I thought, oh, it'd be great to kind of work this into an episode sometime and kind of had it rolling around the back of my head. So, but but you've got a few treasures there. I think we can share in a future show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Anything to add before we sign off? Well, you often ask for last remarks. And so sure. here's one for everybody out there, uh, especially the the newbies, is every chance you get, step outside, if only for three minutes, and look up. Uh, l- say the names of three stars out loud. Note where the planets are. 
look at the moon, see if you can guess how it's tilted, the libration, or whether it's, you know, is that a smaller moon? Is it closer to apogee? Is it a bigger moon, closer to perigee? Just just get outside, you know, even if it's minus 30, it's, uh, you know, put on a jacket and you can just stand in the driveway for three minutes and, uh, and, and have a look at the sky. And that really helps. Uh, and it's also something for me as a way of going, <sighs> okay, good. I've, I've made contact with the sky again. Nice. That's very beautiful. Shane, do you have any other comments? Yeah, top that. That's a perfect way to wrap it up. <laughs> thank you so much. It was a pleasure, guys. Thanks. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Alistair. It was, uh, it was just so much fun. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening. You can check out Alistair's The Sky This Month and his other astronomical writings in Astronomy Magazine. That's the American Astronomy Magazine. And his list uh, mentioned the uh, Challenge Objects uh, list, which is in the uh, RASC Observer's Handbook and available at uh, the SEDS.org website. We're always excited to hear from listeners about your own observations. You can reach us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.